Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul, so, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As a, with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Thanks for reading God's word to us from Psalm 42, Andrew. And hello again, New Hope. Uh, thanks also to Joe Yoon for preaching from Psalm 127 last week. Uh, it's good to be back with you, having been away last week. But I'm so grateful that you all got to hear that message from, from Joe, and uh, I'm so glad I got to hear it too. I got to listen to it twice, and it was very helpful to me on both, on, on both instances, and I found myself reflecting on, on Psalm 127 since then. Perhaps that's been your experience as well. Well, back, uh, back in 2019, we spent some time looking at Psalm 42, which is the psalm that Andrew just read to us, and, and since 2019, I've often uh, wanted to, to revisit that psalm. And so now that we've begun a new series in the psalms, I thought this would be a great opportunity for us to revisit Psalm 42. There are in total 150 psalms in the Bible, and those 150 psalms break up into five sections, or what have been called five books. Psalm 42 marks the start of book two. So, so consider that for just a moment. The second major section in Psalms begins with the words of a man who's overwhelmed by sorrow. So the book, book two of the Psalms does not begin with words of triumph and victory or even words of joy and gladness. No, they begin with the words of a man overwhelmed by pain. This tells us something. It tells us that God knows and he cares about people who feel this way. Psalm 42 is a song about the loneliness and the darkness of despair. But it's also about a God who cares for desperate people. And, and this psalm gives us a way to interact with God in the midst of our sadness. Maybe the anguish described in Psalm 42 sounds familiar to you. you you've been there somewhat at least. You could say, I, I can feel this. But if you can't relate to what the writer is feeling, that's okay. 
These words help prepare you for the sorrow that will come in your life if it hasn't come already. But these words also help you understand the pain of other people who are suffering right now, who are struggling with a cast-down soul. You know, this song was meant to be sung in gathered worship. That's why if you look uh, in a copy of the Bible, the beginning of Psalm 42, it says, to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. No one knows exactly what masculine meant, but it was most likely a category of music. And, and this psalm, we know from this heading, was given to the choir master. That means it was, it was, and it was either written uh, by or it was written to be sung by the sons of Korah. If you don't know who the sons of Korah is, First Chronicles 6 tells us, tells us that the sons of Korah were the men who, quote, ministered with song before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. So when God's people would gather at times during the year to worship, the sons of Korah were, were helping that. They were, they were singing. They were ministering through song. You might say they were the worship team. They were the, the music ministry of sorts. And so what we're reading this morning is a song of worship meant to be sung in congregational worship together, but it's not a particularly happy song. It's a song of lament. And this tells us that we need room for that kind of song and those kinds of emotions in our corporate worship. There needs to be space when we get together for expressions of grief and sadness. All our songs aren't meant to be triumphant and happy songs. There's a time to sing, it is well with my soul, and there's a time to sing, all doesn't feel so well. I, I, I know all is well, but it doesn't feel well. The Lord wants us to sing about our doubt, about our fear, about our depression. We, we know this because he gave us Psalm 42, which shows us how to press, process sorrow as a community with our God. So as we walk through the psalm, this morning, here's what we're going to ask. We're going to ask two questions. What is the writer experiencing, and how does he respond? What is he experiencing, and how does he respond? And hopefully as we do that, we'll be able to relate to this writer in some ways, and we'll learn how to respond to the sorrow that we experience. So what's this, what's this writer experiencing? Well, from the outset, we realize he's beat up, he's weak, he's all but exhausted, Look at, look at verse 1 of Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? I don't know about you, but for me, verse 1 used to conjure up images of a quiet deer by a rolling brook. Because I grew up singing that song, as the deer pants for the water, right? It's such a, and the rest of that song goes on to describe such warmth. It's, it's picturesque. It's a beautiful image of someone basking in the presence of God. But when we look more closely at Psalm 42, we see that this isn't a deer standing gracefully by a stream. It's more like a, a deer laid out on the side of the road. He's, he's been hit, he's exhausted, he's dehydrated, he's weak, and there's no water in sight. 
And that's the picture that the poet paints of his own sad state. He, he believes that God is real, but he feels disconnected from God. God feels absent to him. So, and and look, at, look at even the physical toll that all this sorrow is taking on him. He can't eat. He's sobbing. He says, my tears have been my food. He longs for water, but all he gets is salty tears. Later, he'll say again and again that his soul is cast down. Cast down. First of all, soul here, my soul, it, to an ancient Hebrew, it meant my whole self, my deepest inner self. And when he says he's cast down, he's saying he's dejected. He is even in despair. The Christian Standard Bible is another great um, English translation of the Bible, and perhaps it gets closest to, to the language that we might use today when it translates verse 6 this way, I am deeply depressed. That, that's the language we might use. The Hebrew word could literally mean prostrate, on the floor, to be cast down, meant to be laid out. One Old Testament teacher, Christopher Ash, he says, this is the song of one whose inner being is struggling to get out of bed in the morning. And verse 3 says that instead of getting helped, he's getting taunted. They say to me all the day long, where is your God? And, and, it, and it might lead us to wonder, who's the they here? There are adversaries, apparently. There are other people mocking him. But I wonder if some of this mocking come, it comes from himself. Some of this tormenting might even come from his own heart. Yes, from the world around him and from the devil, but also maybe from his own flesh. Have you ever found yourself asking yourself, where is God? Does he even care? Is he even paying attention? And notice, the psalmist doesn't say, I don't believe in God anymore. He just doesn't sense him close. Because despair and depression, it has a way of, of leaving you feeling alone and disconnected from God and from everyone else, doesn't it? it? It leaves you feeling hopelessly isolated. No one understands. No one feels what you're feeling. No one sees you. That's what it feels like. God feels so far away, and still he longs to see God. Because in verse 2, he says, look at it, he says, When shall I come and appear before God? You know, some Old Testament scholars think that this was written by King David before he actually became king, but when he was uh, on the run from King Saul, who, if you remember, wanted him dead. And so he's far away from his hometown, far away from his home country. And if that's true, then, then we can see why he feels so, so alone. His, his enemy wants him dead. He's a long way from the temple where, where he could worship God with his people. But the fact is that we don't know for sure if David wrote this. It would be nice if he did, but we don't, we don't know. And, and it's okay that we don't know. In fact, I think that's intentional from God's perspective that we not know. That we can speculate, but not for sure. Because it's better that we don't know the exact circumstances. And that it, 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 it helps us see that his despair is not completely unique to him. In fact, we can relate to him even as we experience sorrow. Whatever our situation is, our situation may be very different from the mysterious situation that led this 
psalmist to write these words, but we can still say, I can take these words and make them mine. I feel this. We're not meant to compare our situation with his and say, oh, my life's not that bad. I just need to get over it. I mean, he was going through a lot. King David, my goodness, his life was in danger. He was exiled from home. What do I really have to worry about compared to that? No, God doesn't lead us to think that way. Instead, what he does is he gives you these words to speak back to him. And that's what these are. These are words to be sung, spoken back to God, even in corporate worship. And in private worship, too. No matter what kind of pain you're experiencing, he gives you these words to sing back to him. God knows. God knows, by the way, that some of us tend to overreact to our negative experiences. Can some of you relate to that? Things go bad in your head. They're awful. Some of us catastrophize. God knows that. But he doesn't come to us in our pain and say, get over it. He comes... You see, God knows that even when we're catastrophizing, even when we're making mountains out of molehills in our own heads, he knows that the anguish we're feeling is real. Even when our thoughts are irrational, the pain that they're causing is real, and it's deep. Psalm 42 calls us to make the writer's words our own as we bring our own sorrow Not comparing sorrow, who's more sorrowful, who has it worse, who's more depressed. No. Whatever sorrow you're experiencing, bring it to your Father in heaven. Psalm 42 is there to help you do that. So how does the psalmist respond to what he's experiencing? That's what we need to to ask next. How does he respond? And Because that's going to tell us how we can respond. For one thing, we can't just suffer passively. That's one thing Psalm 42 teaches us. We can't just wallow in our sadness without taking action. That always ends up badly. We can't just wait for the darkness to lift, because sometimes it will lift as time goes by. Other times it won't. Other times it might get darker and darker, and you might find your mind going to places that it's never been before. You may find yourself in deeper pit than you've ever been before. We can't just passively wait for ourselves to feel better. So what does the psalmist do? The first thing he does is he he recollects. He recollects. In other words, he he exercises his memory. Look at verse 4. He says, These things I remember. I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. This man actively recalls a time when he was happy, when he was celebrating together with God's people. Last week, Joe described that that, that glorious scene when, when at set times throughout the year, God's ancient people would march together to the temple in Jerusalem. A, a multitude of festive people going to the temple to worship and they'd walk together singing songs of ascent, as Joe described last week, like Psalm 127, which we studied last week. The psalmist is thinking back to those experiences of singing those songs of ascent with God's people. And those memories are so precious to him. But this is more than, than just reminiscing about old days. 
I'm at that age where I've become very nostalgic. I think I was always nostalgic, but the older I get, the more nostalgic I get. And I sit down with old friends, as I did just recently, and I find myself immediately going over stories from the old days and cracking up and laughing and finding so much joy in those stories. And if some of these friends of mine, if I know them over the next 20, 30, 40 years, however long I live, I'll probably be reminiscing over those same stories with them and finding joy in them. But this is more than the psalmist just reminiscing. He's not just finding some peace in nostalgia. These memories represent times when he didn't feel isolated. There are times when he didn't feel disconnected from God. He felt vitally connected to God's people and to God himself. And those memories matter. They have relevance here and now because it means that gladness is real. It's it's accessible. It's attainable. That the nearness of God is real and attainable. So happiness is possible again. He, He had experienced it, and as he remembers it, it tells him it can happen again. I can experience it again. The joy of the nearness of God and the joy of community when I didn't feel so alone Pressed Christian, even though God feels distant or irrelevant to you now. Even though being around happy Christians doesn't come for you right now, it might, it might be an annoyance to you. And your impulse is to isolate yourself from others. There were times when it wasn't always like that, was it? Wasn't it? Weren't there? There were times when it wasn't always the case. You see, in, in those seasons the downcast soul, we tend to forget happiness. We forget what it felt like. Instead, what we remember and what we keep rehearsing in our heads and reviewing are all those memories of our losses, the failures, the shameful experiences on a loop. And we forget that there was once joy. There was once peace. That means it doesn't have to stay the way it is right now. We, we can one day laugh again. We can celebrate, and we can have peace of mind once again. A writer doesn't just remember his past experiences, though, those past experiences of joy. You know what he also does? He remembers that what God did in the past. He recollects the works of God. Look at verse 6 with me. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. I remember you. From the land of, the Jordan, land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. These are places where God came through for his people. These are historical landmarks. And for the psalmist, they're markers in his own mind that remind him of how God rescued his people. So, so here's some, some application for us. When you are drowning in hopelessness, you need to activate your memory. You do need to recollect. It's not a quick fix by any means, but it's one important step. Remember a time when the Lord gave you joy, when he replaced your tears with laughing, when he answered your prayers Because he's the same God now. You may not even want to remember those memories. Because now they feel like they mock you. 
They feel so distant, so, so inaccessible. But now recall them. Recall God's goodness towards you in the past because he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. You may not feel that, but remember how he has never failed you. In fact, in fact, stretch your memory further back to a time before you were born where the Lord, who knew you already before you were born, suffered alone for you like a a deer gasping for its life. He panted, dehydrated, exhausted. He was mocked by people who said, where is your God now? To the point where he even prayed himself, my God, Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? And, And those waves of suffering drowned him. All so that you would not be forsaken, forgotten or forsaken. And for Jesus, as he experienced the ultimate version of what we read about in Psalm 42, resurrection was just around the corner for him. And it is for you too. So remember, remember. Recollect the works of God. That that requires sustained effort, of course. It doesn't come naturally. No one drifts into thinking about God's mercy when you're in the midst of a depressed season. Your mind will not want to recall the gospel. Your mind will want to give up under the waves and stop swimming. But we must fight to remember. And the other thing that the psalmist does here, he recollects and he starts speaking. He speaks He speaks to God, he speaks to himself, and he speaks to other people. Look at at verse 7 of Psalm 42. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. In verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? These are not particularly victorious words, are they? All your waves have gone over me. What the psalmist is doing is he's honestly confessing where he's at. And he doesn't feel triumphant. What he feels is what he says here. He says, I I know you're sovereign, Lord. I know these waves, you control what's going on in my life. I know you're in control, but I feel attacked by you, God. I feel overwhelmed by what you're doing. He's lamenting to his Lord. It makes me wonder, do we talk like this to our Father? Do you talk like this to your Father in heaven? Do you bring your fear, your doubt, your frustration even, your pain, your despair Are you comfortable enough with him to do that? Are you secure enough in his love to talk to him the way the psalmist does? Because God receives that kind of prayer. He responds to that kind of talk. He hears it. He welcomes it. And you know how I know that? Because he even prescribes it for us here. Because this isn't just descriptive descriptive language showing us how the psalmist responded to his suffering. This was put 
in the worship, uh, put in the, the Psalter, the, 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 the song book of God's people, the song book that Christ himself would have sung from, and it was given to us, and God is saying, sing these words. Sing these words. Why can we sing these words if we can't speak them to God in the depths of despair when we honestly pour out our hearts before him? Studies show that talking about how you really feel helps you feel better. I wrote that here. I have to admit, I didn't, I didn't look up any of those studies. I'm assuming the studies show that. Maybe I should have said anecdotal experience tells me that talking about how you really feel makes you feel better. But whether it's studies or my, you're just our personal experiences, what they're doing, they just confirm what God's word shows us. How many of the Psalms, if you look back at them, begin in a place of despair and then they end with praise? Why is that? Why is that? It's telling us something about the process, the process of pouring out our hearts authentically before God, unedited, unfiltered, the despair, pouring that out to a God who wants to hear and is able to rescue. And in the process of doing that, we're transformed. We might look at the psalmist here and and even find fault with what he says. Verse 9, why have you forgotten? Gotten me, he says. You might read that and say, well, 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 well. to be precise, sir, uh, God has not forgotten you. He doesn't forget anyone or anything. And, uh, And it's, in fact, offensive to say that about him. Or we might come down to Psalm 43, which is actually like part two of Psalm 42. We're not going to look at it today. But down Psalm 43, the psalmist says, why have you rejected me, God? We might look at that and say, well, no, no, hold on a second. Actually, actually, God's not rejected you. But these words, they give voice to what the psalmist is experiencing. And you can correct them if you want, but the point is that he keeps talking to God. Even though God feels absent and distant, even though he's mistaken about whether or not God has rejected him or forgotten him, The psalmist still cries out to him. He even calls him my rock. A rock is unmoving. Think about a rock off the coast in an ocean. It's unmoving. It's going nowhere. Down in verse 11, he'll call God my salvation. See, he's drowning. His his cast-down soul feels uh, unmoored. Uh, it feels like, like it's drifting, it's spiraling, lost at sea, but he keeps talking with the God who promises to bring stability and help. So the takeaway here for us here is keep speaking to God. Keep speaking. Talking to God can be hard when you're cast down in your spirit, when you, when you feel depressed. How, how do you talk to someone who feels absent? But we need to talk to him regardless of whether he feels absent. In Hosea 7, God has this criticism to level about his people. He says, they don't cry to me from their heart, but they wail upon their beds. They don't cry to me from their heart, they wail upon their beds. You see, you have 
we have two options in our sorrow. We can just cry in bed or we can cry out to the Lord. It's an observation that the late David Paulison made. Two options in your sorrow, folks. We can cry in bed, alone, isolated, or we can cry out to the Lord. Paulison says, let the Lord put your groanings into speech. And one way that can happen is when you use the Psalms to give voice to your suffering. When we take these words and we own them and we speak them to God. But even when we are simply present before the Lord, not knowing what to say, stumbling over our emotions, according to Romans 8, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. Not just groanings that are unintelligible to us, but groanings that are too deep. They go deeper than our words ever could. You see, even when we come to the Lord without words to speak, and we try to read through these psalms, we can read them to him, but we also feel like we're stumbling. We feel like it's hard to get anything out. Well, the Spirit comes along, and even as we're doing that hard work, the Spirit is doing the heavy lifting, communicating to the Father on our behalf, takeaway is this. There's never a time to stop speaking to God. There's never a reason to stop speaking to him. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Recollecting and speaking go together, by the way. And you notice this as you read through Psalm 42. The talking leads to remembering, and then the remembering leads to talking, vice versa. So once again, keep talking to God. Keep talking to God. Even if all you can get out is, Lord, have mercy. Help. Help. I need you. Where are you? The psalmist also speaks to himself. He talks to himself. Look at verse 5. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. And then he asks in verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's talking to himself. He's repeating himself to himself. He's asking questions of himself. Not because he's going crazy. No, this is the way back to sanity. This is, this is the way back to getting a grip. These are not rhetorical questions that he's asking, by the way. We need to ask these questions of ourselves. In the midst of sadness, dejection, why are you feeling this way? What, what are these emotions revealing to you? What are these, what, what are these feelings revealing to me? He's asking himself, what's going on in your heart? Why are you in turmoil? Why are you upset? Why are you feel so tortured? What are you fearing? What are you grieving? What are you believing right now about yourself, about God? These are vital questions represented in the questions that the psalmist asks. You see, he's not just allowing himself to, to feel awful. 
to, to just languish in that vague state of melancholy. This stinks. We often do that. I know I do. So, so passive in the face of our emotions. We don't question them. We don't investigate them. We don't try to unpack them. Instead, we just kind of feel awful and wait for things to get better. No. There's an urgency and an activeness in the way that he, he talks to himself. And then he, he starts giving himself orders, too. He starts counseling himself. He says, hope in God. Hope in God, David. Hope in God, Rob. He reminds himself of what's real, of what's true. Look what he says, I will again praise him. Impression not only warps our thinking, but it drains us. It's one of the things that makes, I think, depression different from other just experiences of sadness or, or grief or sorrow. Well, maybe there, there's overlap, of course, but, but one of the things depression does, I think, is it, it, it drains us, and that strange malaise that sets on you can keep you from speaking to yourself and speaking to God. We need to push back against that. We need to push back against it. Don't just listen to yourself on autopilot, to, to, to the hopelessness, to the shaming words. Preach to yourself. Speak the gospel to yourself. I don't mean just recite to yourself Sunday school answers that you learned, although that's a great place to start. But I'm saying remind yourself that there's a Savior who loves you, who died for you. You you feel alone, you feel disconnected, but he doesn't see you that way. He, He loves and died for you. He promises to make all things new, in fact. He will make all things new, including you. He is your rock. He is your rescue. So keep speaking to yourself. And it's true that in the speaking to self, we need to speak our heart. We have to be honest before God. That's what he does. We need to speak the words of the Psalms. Christopher Ashe says, think about this for a moment. It's moving thought to consider Jesus speaking these words to himself when troubled by anxious thoughts and a downcast spirit. Imagine that, Jesus speaking these words to himself, words that he learned as a child became all too real to him. And then Ash says, we too can follow where he has led. I love that. Yes, the psalmist does speak what he feels. I'm laid out, I feel alone. God feels so far away. But you know what else he speaks? He speaks what he knows to be true. He speaks what he knows. He's not, just, uh, he's not just in his feelings, as I've heard the kids say. He speaks what he knows to be true. Verse 5, at the very end, he says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. And he says it again in verse 11. So what he's doing is he's telling himself to hope, and he's telling himself, I will worship again. I will experience God's nearness again. This may have meant meant for King David, I, I will be back in Jerusalem one day. I will worship with God's people again one day. But it also means for us, 
He's saying, I will not always be in the state that I'm in now. And you know why he's able to make that strong claim? I will worship again. I will experience the nearness of God. You know why? It's because of verse 8. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. You see, no matter how he feels, he knows that God's love is steadfast. That much he's learned. Have you learned this as well? That God's love is steadfast. The word there is, is hesed. It, it's a love that is not reliant on feelings. It relies on an unbreakable commitment. It's covenant love from a God who always keeps his word, always lives up to his commitments. And so the psalmist needs to hold on to that. And we need to hold on to that. Make this, like him, make this your prayer at night. In the darkness of of sorrow and turmoil, Lord, your love is steadfast. I feel like a mess. I don't know what I believe sometimes, but I know this. Your love is steadfast. It's unchanging. You've seen me at your worst, at my worst. Oh, Lord, you've seen me at my worst, and, and you love me still the same. Follower of Christ, no matter what you're feeling, you need to hear that. Like a song that reminds you what's true. I I may feel unmoored, I may feel like I'm drowning, but your love is steadfast. That means that your affection towards me and your attention on me is steadfast too. So no matter what the accuser tells me, No matter what my own shaming heart likes to tell me, your love has never changed. You're present in my suffering, in my pain. Lord Jesus, you you sympathize with me in this. You know the weight of it. You know, this whole psalm, in a sense, is the writer talking. He's talking to God. He's talking to himself. He's talking to us, too, as readers. Which tells us something. It tells us it's okay to admit despair. It's okay okay to confess hopelessness. Not only to God, but to admit it to others. That's what the psalmist does. He he, he made his darkness public. (laughs) He put it in a song and he said, sing this, everybody. That took a lot of courage, didn't it? So many of us, we we hide our sadness. We are afraid to communicate it to others. Maybe maybe we're afraid of the shame that's going to bring, or we're afraid of becoming a burden on other people. Or maybe we're afraid other people just aren't going to be able to help us, even though they want to. Or even worse, maybe they won't even care. As a Christian, you might even feel like you need to Put on a happy face. After all, you, haven't you always said that the gospel brings joy? That Christ gives joy? What will people think if you admit to being depressed? Might, might, might some friends and family even say, are, are, you, are you sure you're even a Christian? Or your unbelieving friends and family might say, where, where is your God? <laughs> but this psalm encourages us to speak 
about our sorrow with others. Our God preserved these words, and in part, he did that so that we, his people, could learn together how to, how to fight despair and find hope in Jesus who suffered for us. And so this psalm is not, um, it's not a formula for defeating sadness, right? This is a, it's not even all that we can or should do in this psalm. We need more. We, we, you need sleep, right? And you need uh, 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 healthy habits and... You need all the spiritual disciplines. Get counseling. Take your medicine if you need it. But what Psalm 42 shows us is vital. It describes a kind of wrestling, a fighting against lies. And it's not linear, you see. If you look closely, you'll find that that there, there are moments, these flashes of hope and faith, and then there's despondency again and doubt. There's a back and forth. A wrestling progress is made. The losses are taken. But there's an ongoing fight again and again as these lies come back. And it's a fighting with this hope. It's the hope that God will deliver. He will deliver you either now or when Jesus returns to set all things right. The waves of depression will quiet forever. Counselors and therapists and physicians will be out of a job. There'll be other work to do. Pharma will be out of business. Because sadness will not have the last word. For those who are in Christ Jesus, your story ends in resurrection and the hope of glory. And in eternity, (laughs) in eternity, we'll still be recollecting and talking about what God has done to secure our eternal joy. This is our hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Psalm 42 and for the psalmist, whoever he was, who... who's willing to vulnerably and and courageously put these words to paper and and give them to the congregation to be sung. This is a gift to us, a gift to your church. Lord, thank you for our Savior who sang Psalm 42. Lord, we pray for those who right now in our congregation and in our homes are fighting against darkness, who feel laid out, disconnected from you, exhausted, parched, and sorrowful beyond description. And we ask that you would send out your light and your truth as you say you will in Psalm 43 so that those those struggling saints will one day Rejoice and laugh in your presence again. And for those who are suffering apart from you, they don't know you yet, Lord. We pray that even in the sadness that they're experiencing now, that the sorrow, in that sorrow, they would experience your kindness, and that kindness would lead them to repentance and faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.